New Geographies is an art commissioning project coordinated and produced by nine organisations from the East Contemporary Visual Art Network. In 2017, members of the public were invited to nominate overlooked and forgotten places across the six counties of the East of England. Then followed an open call for artists to propose a new public artwork inspired by any of the nominated locations. A diverse and exciting group of 10 artists were selected and commissioned. Over the past three years, we've been working together to realise their ambitious projects, engaging with local artists, residents, schools and communities across the region and further afield. My name's Stuart Whips, I'm an artist, I live and work in Birmingham. So I'm attempting to make a series of films um, around all of the post-war uh, new towns of Britain. Um, so for New Geographies, I proposed that I would work with communities in Basildon, Hatfield and Harlow. Um, and, and really, I didn't know a great deal about those places when I, when I made that proposal, other than I'd met with uh, Zelda Jeffers, who, who lives in Brookhouse, in, right in the centre of Basildon, who uh, is very active in the community, um, wouldn't call herself a community kind of organiser because she's also a committed anarchist. Um, a, a really interesting, you know, person to really kind of think about. Um, I guess I have at the heart of it this idea of like we talk about a new town, but of course it's 50, 60, 70 years old in some instances. So what does it mean to live in this place that feels out of time? What does it mean? What can... What can those places say about, you know, not historically about, about that, but what do they say about the Britain that we live in now? Um, and how do you work with people to kind of tease that out? So working with Zelda in Basildon, I then got in touch with residents of uh, a small development of 28 houses called The Ride uh, in Hatfield, which was... Um, yeah, built in late 60s, uh, following a call out, it was an advertisement in the Times, I think, to for like-minded individuals to get involved in a cooperative uh, building project. And it's been run as a cooperative ever since. But a very different kind, if we think of social housing, you know, as we see in Brookhouse in Basildon, in Hatfield, it's certainly not that. It's very wealthy, it's becoming increasingly so. Uh, the people who live there, but there is still this drive to have a sense of community and I think there's something interesting about that that perhaps probably gets overlooked because of the quite bougie nature of the of the houses that are there. Um, and then in Harlow, I was always interested, in fact, in not working with residents who live here, but in this house um, that was Frederick Gibbard's, I mean, that I think is interesting anyway, that the architect master planner of Harlow Newtown chose to live on the fringes of the Newtown. That rarely happens. Um, and that his house is still here, his library is still here, and his archive is still here. And that it's looked after by a team of uh, volunteers. I think there's something interesting about that in relation to these other ideas of home, of kind of identity, and I guess of care as well, the idea that the material is there.
So at the heart of the project are those three locations and those three groups or communities of people. And then it's about, I don't work with, uh, I don't create a storyboard or have any sense of knowing what I'm trying to do at the beginning. It's more a case of collecting material and that might be collecting archive material or collecting footage. And you're just making, or I'm trying to make connections as I go along between these locations or, or schisms as well, between them as well, these differences that start to open up. And again, it's a way of trying to think about how they might, help us to think about Britain now, even though we're looking at something that has its roots in the past. I'm not a historian in that sense, and I do a, a kind of poor job of, of doing that, of telling the history. Again, it's it's as much for me to try and kind of think about what a home is now, you know, and kind of how the, we might look at these different examples. I'm, I'm sort of aided in that, I think, in the sense that even this one film, the New Geographies film of these three locations, is already the third iteration of these New Towns films. So it doesn't need to do everything. You know, it can kind of, uh, tr you know, do things on this very slow or quiet way because a film I've made in Peter Lee is looking at this other aspect or the film I've recently made in Milton Keynes is doing that. This is me living in Brookhouse, having my life, and my life is perhaps not what I imagined at my age. But then when you're not my age, you can't really imagine it. It is just home and... Um, in one, in another way, I would really like to have had and to have a garden. So the sad bit is that I don't have a garden. Um, I can get out and have somewhere to sit in the in the fresh air. It's very disconnected. It, there's the two lifts, one for odds and one for even floors, and you see people in the lift and a lot of people stand in the lift, not catching your eye. I do tend to speak to people in the lift, and then they usually reply, but you don't. It's a short journey. You don't get to know anybody, really. And um, so I would know three people on this floor. Um, but I couldn't say we were friends. You know, we would greet each other. And that's about it. And a new uh, tenant has moved into the flat opposite me. And one young family moved out and another young family has moved in. And I said to her yesterday, I think, I said, oh, you know, how are you settling in? And she said, oh, fine, thank you. Um, it's not as bad as I thought it would be, you know, and this is the, there is this idea of Brookhouse as somewhere terrible. First here when I was working and people would say, you know, oh, you know, you, you live in Brookhouse. Oh, what's it like? Oh. Um, I know what some people want the future to be. Um, it's all about is there a future in a way? The big question is, is there a future for anywhere? At least I'm quite high up. I do have the vision, you know, of the swimming pool, diving board out the window and water down below lapping around. But I don't really want to go there. And all, all any of us can do, any, anyone in the entire world, all we can do is our own little bit. All we can do is deal with that. And we've got to also care for ourselves and then we can care for others and then we can care for everything. One of the things I've been thinking, I've thought about, came into my head was one of the things that's important to us each as people is about being the, whether you're the subject of your life or the object of your life. So if you feel like the object, then it's, it's disempowering and, and, and 
you might want to run out and buy lots of stuff to make yourself feel better and so on. But if when you know you're the subject of your life, then you, you feel you can do things and you go out and meet other people who also want to do things and it can all build up and, and be good and be positive. And so that's partly the feeling about the old, you know, what's wrong with Basildon, what's wrong with people in Basildon, what's wrong with the working classes, what's wrong with people, is that they've been made into the objects, not the subjects. Something, an idea I came up with quite early for this film was that I would have the camera moving, which I appreciate is not such a big step generally within filmmaking, but this is the first time I've made a film in which I move the camera. So usually I, I, I make these films where the camera's just locked off and the, you know, things are kind of happening, but very slowly. And, uh, but I, I wanted to create this um, sense that the camera was responsive to the, to sight and to location. And is a way of kind of examining or looking. And I guess it's, it's trying to show me as this outsider kind of scanning or looking or so the camera sort of becomes this proxy for what I'm doing. Um, so in Basildon, whenever I'm filming, the camera only moves vertically in relation to the, you know, the vertical nature of a tower block. It's a simple idea. Um, in Hatfield, because it's this low development, um, they're single storey, long houses. The camera always moves on this horizontal axis. Um, so it's, yeah, just this simple way of trying to kind of embed this idea of being responsive to sight, that even the camera movement is dictated by the nature. Uh, of the site. I also like the idea then that you sort of know what you're going to get with that, but not completely. So it's led to some quite nice things where, because I just set the focus as well and then it goes, I don't have a big crew when I work on these things, it's me and my mate John. Um, so we're not like pulling focus and doing anything complicated like that. We just set the shot up, the camera moves along the track and then it finishes. So you get some things that you expect to happen, but actually things that cut through the frame in ways that you're not expecting and I, I quite like that that there's this element of chance within the work the other thing I, I talked about briefly is that you know I don't storyboard it also means that I'm just collecting and collecting and collecting and then the editing process is pretty long and slow and quite laborious and difficult <laughs> um, at times because you're trying to make shape then of this kind of mess of footage that you've got and you can't you know if you see interesting things you're going to shoot them but then you've got that you're just giving yourself this kind of extra amount of material to then get through and try and start to kind of tease out little kind of you know connections or stories or whatever it may be or this is how I think about editing photography as well is that some some images or imagery acts as it could be a whole chapter you know a kind of a photograph even can tell you kind of like this whole wealth of information um and then some images are just single sentences or words and actually some images are just punctuation and the thing is you need the punctuation just as much as you need the full chapter so it's how you start to kind of use it as this sort of on the one hand this material but on the other hand this language you know and how you start to kind of shape 
um, an understanding or a, a narrative with that. The story tells of giant excavators coming alive and people being turned into robot-like creatures. In the sixth instalment, we find the children trapped in an underworld, described as like living in a rainbow with billowing gases all around them. A world like the glass which you see in modern buildings that changes as light shines from different directions. Uh, so I'm Stuart Whips. Um, thank you for coming. Um, I have been working on a commission called New Geographies. So my proposal is that I would make a film um, that is um, set between the Gibbard Garden, and mostly Gibbard's house, uh, and the archive that's contained within it. Uh, Brook House in Basildon, uh, which is a tower block in the centre of Basildon. It's, the, it's a listed building designed by Basil Spence and then the ride in Hatfield, which is a very different kind of um, development, although also cooperative uh, in the way that it was um, conceived and is still the way people live there now as a cooperative. Um, but this comes on the back of a whole series of films that I've been making since 2013 that are all filmed in um, post-war British Newtowns. And the series of films is called Necessary Amendments that comes from the Newtown Handbook that, that is given to uh, local authorities, well, was in the 50s and 60s when they were embarking on this thing to, to you know, this huge endeavour to build a new town. And the, the interesting thing about it to me was that the handbook is loose leaf and can accommodate amendments. So it's this idea of something that, in the one hand, we think of planning being quite fixed. But on the other, it's quite slippery, you know, as things start to get built, they're not quite what was envisaged. And a lot of the work I'm interested in is the difference between those ideas as they're kind of, they exist on paper, as to how they then exist in the world. So it's quite nice to me in this context that what we have here is this archive that contains those initial drawings, the genesis of some of these ideas and even notes, and what that might mean for how they exist in the world. Um, the other thing is that I don't want to, I'm not a historian and I don't want to always just be looking at historic material and situations. So the, the subtitle for, for the film I'm making here is Homes for the People, which came from a book in Gibbard's library actually. And the interesting thing about this book to me is that there are no voices of the people within this book. And this is the same with most of the books around planning generally around the Newtown planning more specifically, is that the, the thing that's really absent are the voices of the people who would live there in the cases of things that are being planned. And even in some of the study, studies and surveys that were done, the, the voices of the people that live there are, are often absent. My parents went to live in Stevenage. So I actually was a Saturday girl at one of the first shops that opened in Newtown. Because my mother wasn't happy she got the, blue the Newtown Blues, we moved back to the house with the outside loo. I, never, I didn't forgive her. I didn't forgive her for years. I feel it's a special place to live, you know. Um, I think I feel very lucky that I live here. Um, but but still, there's lots of people that come in and all they want is the house and they're not at all interested in the community bit. I think because we are, we are the sort of dying off 
Um, and the younger people coming along have perhaps a different view of things. Um, I don't know how well the community bit will continue to function. Different when they were first built, because when, pe- when people bought them, they're all young, young pro- professionals, all in their, their, their tw- 20s, 20s and 30s, with many with young kids, and they're all sort of like, like-minded and... And partying oh, yes. every day, every night. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There. I mean, there was. There were, and you, as you have probably heard, um, and we missed. We missed the um, the exciting bit, but um, there were a lot of marriage breakdowns because people were just just got too close. You know, um, there there were practically parties every. Um, from what I, I understand, parties sort of almost every night. What is happening of, of, um, is in, inevitable is that the way things were done is changing. Um, we came when the original people, there were more original people, and in fact I have to say that in a way there were these sort of originals and then we were quite the newcomers and and actually I I felt like a newcomer for a long time because they were a very, very close group. There were sort of rules, traditions, there were already sort of traditions at that time so we're surrounded, you know, in Gibbert's house with the his archive um, and, you know, his kind of collection. Um, and I think that that's really, it's kind of has the opportunity to be really interesting. I think using archive material has the opportunity to, it can be dangerous. I mean, not really dangerous. No one's dying, you know, not pulling heavy books off the top shelf, but I mean... It has it. It just looks good, and that can be good, but it can be a problem. And I think it's how you cut through the fact that you know yellowing bits of sellotape can kind of give you this nice aesthetic. And but what can it say instead? And how can you use it to kind of bring other things to life, or bring you know, and also avoid romanticism and nostalgia, or use them in the right way? I think there's a place for nostalgia. But you don't want it to be this kind of blind or dumb nostalgia that just leads you to kind of down this cul-de-sac of, oh, weren't things better in the past? Because, uh, you know, of course they weren't. Things were, things aren't, things are complicated. There's all sorts of things, you know. So I'm interested. I often, I think every piece of work I make starts with a historic position or artefact. But then I'm interested in how you might use that to kind of gain a better understanding of a contemporary situation. Um, I don't think I do that in a very overt way. I think sometimes it might, I might trade as a historian sometimes. But you're, so even if in, in this film, for instance, it's this very direct example of kind of, you know, making a connection between some of the things he's writing about gardens and how that might relate to somebody in a tower block and how they're trying to kind of make this space for themselves and how that might make us think about other spaces we're trying to make for ourselves and and those kinds of connections. So um, I I think that, I think it's important to me to kind of have these historic markers, but how you kind of push 
push against them a bit or kind of challenge them or get them to speak of things that they were never intended to. I guess that's something I'm interested in is how do you take material and how do you kind of, it's, it's disrespectful in some ways, but how do you get it to speak of things that it was never intended to speak for? My kids feel just as comfortable in the clubhouse as they do in our house. So that says something to me. It's like, how, why is that? Why is it that we, we don't go there all the time? But I think as well it comes from people like Margaret and comes from Phil and the way that they have this stewardship is you can you feel it so even in the way that they when they arrive they put the lights on and then do that they have a very kind of certain way of doing things and it really demonstrates to you that it's not just a building that this is the place that they care for I don't I started to do some putting together some kind of documents and doing a bit of archiving and stuff mm -hmm. like that and was really warned off by some people saying don't dig too much just kind of get the stuff to do with the buildings and don't ask too many questions about interpersonal relationships. <laughs> but I mean, you can't, it just comes out straight away. But this was a, I mean, I find it stifling now. I do not know how Steve managed it. I think she would have really, it must have been intense because it was their, Steve, I mean, Phil said to me, he just came home and you know, he didn't go anywhere else. We were here all weekend. And you were working in a clubhouse, you were in the garden, you were out the back with your friends, you were doing this or that, and this was your, this was an entire world. So the title of the film is Homes for the People. So I'm looking at the shelves now as we're speaking, because it comes from a book that I found in Gibbard's library. And it's going to be one of those things that I definitely won't find it. But the reason I was interested in it is because I came here specifically one day to try and find in amongst these books examples of uh, where the public have been consulted, you know, whether this be on things that were to be built or even in there's lots of these books that deal with re reviews of things that have happened. And the thing that stood out is that even in titles like The City of Man that I'm looking at now, the voice of the men or the women or the children or the people that live there are absent. And that's the same with the book Homes for the People. It's not really about from, you know, it's another one here, the heart of the city. The, I've looked through all of these books and, it, and those voices aren't there. So that's really what I'm trying to do. The Newtown story we have here, again, that those, you know, what people think who actually live here, those views aren't, aren't here. So I've been recording interviews with people who live in these places as a way to kind of, I guess you'd call it this kind of corrective gesture in some ways, how you might uh, reintroduce these voices of people who live in a place and what they think of it and what they think of all kinds of things. You know, I was speaking to a couple yesterday, they're probably in their 60s, Roger and Margaret, and they, they were saying really clearly like us, he worked as an architect, you know, these are middle-class people, but, he, you know, it wasn't some star architect, you know, he was, a, he was doing well for himself, but it was a, you know, a, a kind of a regular but good wage, but a single professional wage at the time when they were buying a house was more than enough to put down a deposit within like a year of kind of looking at places to buy a three bedroom house in London um, and then have a family. So it's impossible to not get political when you think of the situation now, which they were talking about. We were getting into this of what does it mean that your 
the secure because they were they raised this that the security of their kids and their grandkids is also bound up in this house that they live in which is now worth probably like 600 grand um and what their relationship to their kids and their grandkids is even in relation to the fact that their home is also this moment of you know this object that will kind of give security to their family so you can't avoid the politics of that but i i i think about this a lot that i never like i want my work to really deal with these political issues and to deal with ideas of class and hierarchy but I don't think you can, tr I don't know, I think you can, I can't, I think someone can, but I can't make a film by setting out to do that. I think it's too big. For me, I think I like to work by sort of narrowing into something quite specific. And that might be one person who lives in one tower block in one city, you know, one town. And then I think from that narrow point, you can come to this quite broad sort of understanding or, or, or start to deal with a broad set of, of, of questions or ideas. But I can't set out to, to deal with those at the beginning, you know, I think it's better for me. And actually I've found in my work over recent years, I've been getting kind of narrower and narrower with those starting points. So a good example would be that I restored a 1979 Mini with ex-workers from the factory. So you're talking about a single car out of more than three million minis that were made from a single factory on a single day in a, in, and the year was really important. But then I think from that point, you can deal with all of the political and social ramifications that come out of that place and that site and that story. But you couldn't ever begin by that, you know, you couldn't take that on, you'd just get lost or I would anyway. You can see all 270 nominated locations alongside details of each of the 10 artists' projects at www.newgeographies.uk. New Geographies has been produced by Art Exchange, East Gallery NUA, First Sight, Focal Point Gallery, Kettles Yard, Norwich Castle Museum and Art Gallery, Original Projects, UH Arts and Wising Arts Centre. New Geographies is supported by Arts Council England. <laughs>